Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Through 12, in your hearing, it reads as follows. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The title of our message today is Ch-Ch-Ch-Changes. Today... See, I love this church. That's exactly right. Today, we're going to talk about change, transition, season to season. Would you pray with me? In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, we surrender. We ask that you would take complete dominion of this room. God, I recognize that the message today will be a challenging message, and it will confront every stalwart foothold of the enemy in our life. And so, Father, right now, we love you and we trust you. Jesus, we adore you. Holy Spirit, we surrender. Take complete control. If there be anything in this room that is unlike you, silence it right now. You speak loud in this room. Soften our hearts and open our minds to receive your word, pure and unadulterated. In Jesus' name and all that agreed, said amen and amen. You might be asking why I'm praying so hard. It's because, well, you should have been there. Changes. Every Saturday, I get a haircut. I have only two vices, tanny shoes and haircuts. I like to get a haircut every Saturday because uh, my hair grows out and not down. Do I have anybody in the room like that? You're just like, for real? Why straight out? And the older I get and the grayer it gets, the frizzier it gets. And so left unchecked, I can tend to look like Dr. Emmett L. Brown from Back to the Future. Great Scott, right? So I got to clean it up. And, and, and every other week I take my sons with me, teaching them to keep it crispy, as we say. And, uh, and, 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 and we go to the same barber we've been going to for almost 10 years now. We, we live way out east. And, and our barber, Shay Aguilar, she's a member of our church. She's been cutting our hair forever. She, she has a shop on the west side of town. And so every Saturday morning, we get up earlier than school and we drive all the way across town to get a haircut. And yesterday we did the same thing as we always do. And it was a beautiful, cloudy, rainy morning in Denver. And I don't know about you, but I like the rain. Something about the smell of the rain, something about the freshness of the rain. And we drove across town. It was rainy. We always stop at 7-Eleven and get, junk, get healthy snacks from 7-Eleven. And, uh, and then we get a haircut. We're driving home after our haircuts. It was still raining. And, and we were on I-70, and we, 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 uh, we crossed downtown. It was raining. We got to Colorado Boulevard, and it was, it was, it was raining. And then right around that Quebec mark, we, 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 we noticed that the rain turned into like a, a different thing. 
But we kept going. And then right around that 225 mark, we, we live way past that, that, that sleet thing turned into snow. We kept going. Once we got to Tower Road, that snow was a complete whiteout. Now, I'm from Colorado, and I drive a Subaru. Amen. So you know exactly how I feel about the snow. Let's go, right? So I'm never really worried about the snow. But that snow came in so fast, even I was like, why don't we pull over in the slow lane and just take it down a notch, right? We finally got home, and I was remarking to my sense how quickly the weather turned. And if you're from Colorado, you know this. But if you're not from Colorado, that might alarm you. One of the things we say around here is if you don't like the weather, wait a few minutes, it'll change. Amen? If you know that you're, if you're from somewhere else, you, you might think it's strange that it could be 66 degrees in January. It will also probably alarm you when it snows in June. Amen. But one of the ways that you know that you're around somebody who can help you navigate the weather changes in Colorado, how you know you're with a native is if they're wearing the native uniform, which is shorts and a hoodie. <laughs> you get lost in Denver, just look for shorts and a hoodie. You'll be straight. Amen. Here's what I've come to understand about Colorado. Change happens quickly here. Because of the way that we're set, at the altitude we're set, and the way that the weather comes over the mountains, change can happen in an instant, and it can happen very powerfully. And ready? That's exactly like faith. Change is happening every day during the journey of faith. And because of the altitude that the sons of daughters of Jesus Christ are set, change can happen quickly, and it can happen powerfully. Your job as a believer in Jesus Christ is to embrace the change, not to resist the change, not to fight the change, not to avoid the change. In fact, I'll tell you this, one of the most debilitating walks, things that you can do in your walk with Jesus Christ is to try to resist the change of the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to really struggle in your journey? You want to make being a Christian super hard? Just fight change. Honest as it comes, just be resistant, just argue with it, just complain about it. Just whenever the Holy Spirit urges you to do something, just ignore it or pretend you didn't hear it. Whatever you do, if you really want to struggle, just fight change. Because here's the deal. God makes change, and you can't change God. Amen? Now, I don't know if you've been here long enough at our church, but you know I like to name sermons after song titles. Amen. I used to do a whole series uh, uh, of rap lyrics, and then I realized some of our more mature believers thought that inappropriate, and so I matured out of that as well. Amen. But it's still in me as a former musician. So we named this song after a David Bowie song, Ch-Ch-Changes. And if you know the song, it's a great song. I love that song. He says, Changes. Turn and face the strange. What a great line. But it is true for you and I that we must embrace change and you must face it head on, no matter how strange it may feel. Now you're here on a Sunday morning in church, the high holy appointment that is church, and you're thinking to yourself, for the love of God, why is he quoting Ziggy Stardust in church? You may not know this, but David Bowie in 1972 was invited to perform with Queen as a tribute at Wembley Stadium. And before his performance, just moments before he sang, he did something that they had not done in their weeks of rehearsal leading up. He took the stage, 
microphone in hand, standing in front of 72,000 adoring fans of the glam rock movement that he led, and he said, bow your heads, and led 72,000 people in the saying of the Lord's Prayer. And he finished and said, amen, Jesus is real, and then they sang. Towards the end of his life, he was diagnosed with liver cancer. And he was quoted as saying, I do not fear, for I know that God is real and he loves me. I'm telling you right now, God saved a lot more people than you think he saved. <laughs> And I, I was reading this, the lyrics to this song because I had undiscovered that story and became enamored by the idea that so many people who we think were enemies of God and who were rightfully during their course of their rock and roll legacy also came to faith in God. I was really reading, reading the lyrics of his song. And he said, turn and face the strange changes. I don't want to be a rich man. And as I read that, I recognized it sounded like this passage from James. When James is writing, he's writing about people, two people, and he defines two different groups of people. And, 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 and as I heard David Bowie say, I, I don't want to be a richer man, I thought, God, me neither. <laughs> Amen. Because when James talks to rich people, he tells them to do something interesting. Now, let me just break this down for you real quick. I, I, I want to tell you this. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to give you three high-level sections that I want you to write down. And we're going to dive real deep. We're actually going to teach for just a minute. So, so bear with me while I talk about some literary stuff within the text. But here's the three main movements if you're taking notes. First thing is this. Change is good. Okay? Say that to yourself. Change is good. Second thing is this. Change is natural. Say that. Change is natural. And the third thing is this, change is our challenge. Can you say that with me? Change is our challenge. So let's talk about change. Verse 9, it says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. James is, James is talking to two kinds of people. Now, Throughout much of the canon of Scripture, whenever there's a mention of both the lowly and the rich, they're divided not just by their circumstances, but also by the phrase I like to use, their heaven stances. Throughout the text, oftentimes, when the Bible talks about the lowly, the oppressed, those without, or the poor, it positions them as being in need and receiving need from the Father. It often talks about how God sees the poor, how God meets the need, and for those who are lowly, there's a specific compassion and touch for the Lord. Also, throughout much of the canon of Scripture, when, when the text talks about the rich, it tends to, for lack of a better term, vilify the rich. It, it positions those who have, those in plenty, the rich, as oftentimes corrupt, as unbelievers, and as oppressors of the lowly. But this passage of Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, if you misinterpret this as James talking about the lowly who will receive exaltation and the rich who must suffer humiliation, you'll miss the entire impetus of the last four verses of this section. Now, this section, you must know, is called an inclusio. The book of James is, is a wisdom book. I agree with some of the more modern theologian, theologians today that would position this book not as James's letter of rules and mandates, but as James's poetic letter of wisdom about how to apply the knowledge of God's teaching to the living in our lives. 
And the reason that we can think that, understand that about this text is, is because he teaches well about wisdom. He, he practices wisdom. He's a man of wisdom and he models it. And because he also uses literary devices that are found in Old Testament wisdom literature. Verses 2 through 12 in the first chapter here represent what we call an inclusio. It is a literary device meant to take an idea and pack it together such that the ideas presented in the beginning are restated in the ending. So as to say, you need to get this, and so I'm going to say it a couple different times. So notice in verse 2, he says, Count it all joy when you meet trials, for you know that the testing produces steadfastness. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test. Do you see how he's begun a conversation and then bookended that conversation with a repetition of the introduction? Amen? It is, it is a classic technique of biblical authors inspired by the Holy Spirit to impart wisdom. Here's how we know. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, entitled in many of your books as the section called The Call of Wisdom. It is a classic chiasm. That's the Old Testament word for inclusio. A chiasm in poetry. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking with me for just a minute? I know we're getting a little bit in the weeds, but this matters. Trust me. A chiasm in the Old Testament is an inclusio, meaning we start with a big idea, we end with a big idea, and we build it. Except that in the Old Testament, a chiasm is built like a triangle. So it goes out and it comes in. The ideas in the beginning correspond to the end and so forth, all the way down until right in the middle of the chiasm is the big idea. So here's how you can see it. Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street and in the market she raises her voice matches this final thought in verse 33. But whoever listens will dwell secure. Verse 20 matches 33. Verse 22 matches 32. 23 matches 30. It goes on and so forth. Wisdom literature always uses this model where it says, here's an idea. Let me expand on it. Here's the idea. And here's why this matters for you. You must understand Scripture through the original author and the original intent. Failing to do so will allow you to pull apart the pieces of Scripture and pick the ones you like. If you don't look at this writing from James, this inclusio in its entirety, you will disregard the challenging parts in it because they're, well, challenging. And you will say, you know, I just love James 1.12. Blessed is the man who receives the crown of life. Oh, that's not what that says. It says, blessed is the man who goes through trial. Where do we learn about trial? Verse 12. Trial of all kinds. Oh, I don't like that. You shouldn't. It's terrible. But you'll be blessed if you walk through it. Do you see what I'm talking about here? The scripture is meant to build on itself so that you would read scripture in full context. And that's why we read book through book. Amen. This is why we don't cherry pick messages. We don't do topical themes. We do text all the way through because here's the deal. The word is sufficient. It is a narrative. It is authoritative. It has what you need. And you don't need to go to a church where I every week am like, what do I want to say to these people? 
Amen? You don't want me as your pastor to be dreaming up what you should learn. Ugh, that's dangerous. Because one of y'all might get on my nerves and I'm like, I'm going to preach right against her. So you're, you're not laughing. Because you're scared. No, I'm playing. It's because too many of us go to this kind of church, have been to this kind of church where it's all about whatever the Lord would download unto the leader. But that's not church. That's not the way it's meant to be taught. We're supposed to learn this all the way through in text. Amen? In context. So all that to tell you this is a wisdom book and James is writing specifically to close this conversation out. Which means in your text, it probably has your text divided so that verse 12 is the beginning of a new paragraph or a new thought. It's not. Paragraphs, subheadings, and verses were added much later. This is all one big thought. Amen? And so here's what he says. Change is good. Now, in verse 9, James says this. Let a lowly brother boast and let a rich brother boast. And here's the important part, okay? These two men are both believers. They're both believers. Because whereas the old text used to say the rich were oppressors, This text is James exhorting the rich to do a Christ-like thing. And James and other authors in the text would never, never exhort those who are enemies of God. Amen? If this rich were corrupt or the oppressor, he would say, let the lowly ex- be boast because they're exalted in spite of the rich. But that's not what it says. James says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let those who are low boast because they'll be high. And let the rich boast in his humiliation. Let those who are high boast because they're low. What a wonderful picture of the gospel. Amen? All things that you experience here on earth are probably not the same as those you will experience in heaven. James is saying this. I want to talk to you today. Yes, you who believe in Jesus. And I want to talk to all of you today. And so in an effort to make sure that not one of you today disregard this teaching, I will speak to the lowly. Those of you who are in a season of struggle. No matter what your lowly is, maybe it's financial struggle, maybe it's relational struggle, maybe it's a struggle in illness or of of mental illness. Maybe you're in a season and it's just plain hard. James says, I want to talk to you about that. And he says, but so that some of you were in the room would say, well, I don't really deal with anything bad. I got it mostly all together. I want to talk to you too. He says, let me, let me talk to the rich. And he's not just talking about the finances that you possess. He says, I want to talk to those of you who are here in plenty. You're here and things are working out well for you. Finances were fine. Job, career, fine. Relationships, we got it. Been walking with the Lord so many years of my life. I'm quite comfortable. He says, oh, good. I got to talk to those of you who are uncomfortable and comfortable. And he says, your current circumstance (laughs) is going to change. To the lowly, James says, I have good news for you. Even though this season has been really hard for you, this season is not going to last forever. 
And better than that, this season does not define you. Now, that, that should be important for those of you who maybe have walked a road like me for a season where it wasn't dark for like a day or two, but it was like dark for months. Am I talking to anybody? There's a few of us in this room where like darkness was kind of the order of the day. A few of us in this room have walked through longer per- periods of darkness, failure, struggle, pain, worry, anxiety, addiction, and mostly for some of us, that was brought on by ourselves. Am I talking to anybody? See, he's talking to those of you who are stuck in a bad situation. And he says, I got so much good news for you. (laughs) In fact, we should throw a party. That's what James says. He says, I want to talk to the lowly about how to boast. Now, if you've ever been in a really difficult season, the last thing you want to do is boast. That's why you lie when you come to church. How you doing? Just great. (laughs) Right? And James is saying you should boast. Boast. I ain't got nothing to boast about. Oh, yes, you do. See, you've been thinking you got nothing to boast about because you're consumed by the natural world around you. You think that this is all there is. But baby, I got news for you. This ain't all there is. This is just a little bit. This is just a moment. And you are not defined by your moments. He says, let the lowly boast in their exaltation. What exaltation? The exaltation that comes to the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ when the day is appointed for them to be exalted in Christ Jesus. There is coming a day, you know, when you and I will be taken up. Our time here will end. We will enter glory. Do do you think about that ever? Do do you? I think about it all the time. I always, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit of a daydreamer. I think about the moment that that one day will come when I get to walk on, what do they call them, streets of gold. I think about the day where I get to pass through the gate called beautiful. When I get to high five Peter, you're <laughs> such a mess up, me too, brother. When I get to see Paul, man, he really was not a very attractive fellow, hallelujah. <laughs> when I get to see the size of Samson and the meekness of Gideon, when I get to have a pretty stern conversation with Adam, bro, for real, like from the beginning, you couldn't even, or how about this, when I get to stand face to face with the king of kings in all of his glory, and he presents me spotless to the father. James says, I know it looks bad right now, but you still got something to boast about. He says, I'm talking to you in the middle of your circumstance, no matter how bad your circumstance is. Your circumstance is never worse than your heaven stance. Better is coming. And so for everyone in the room who's been going through a tough time, he says, you ought to shout about your tough time because it ain't never going to get worse than this. In fact, for those in Christ Jesus, it will only get better. Amen. So here's what I'm telling you. No matter what it looks like, you should boast. People ask you when you come to church, how you doing? <laughs> you say, I'm so broke. <laughs> but Jesus is still on the throne of my life. And I know that this won't last forever. And I know that I'm not broke in heaven. Come on, somebody. How you doing? Well, I just got dumped. But Jesus ain't never left me. 
Amen? I'm trying to tell you this. You need to get over this. You need to see through this. You need to stop being consumed by this. Greater is coming. He says, let the lowly boast in their exaltation. Oh, yeah, it may not look good now, but it looks pretty good coming up. But not that he's only talking to the people who struggle. No, James also talks to the people who think they ain't struggling. Notice how I said who think. He says, let the lowly brother boast in exaltation and let the rich brother boast in his humiliation. This is not embarrassment. Ready? He is not saying, for those of you who are rich, you should celebrate that one day you'll be embarrassed. That's not it. And before we even talk about what it means, you should understand this. Rich is not bad. Rich can be bad, but being rich is not bad. Oh, how about this? You should reject the notion that says in order to be a Christian, you have to be poor. Some of you are getting really nervous because you're like, he's about to start naming it and claiming it right here. I just know it. No, no, no. I'm telling you right now, he is talking to believers, both those who have and those who have not. And here's the problem. So many of us think that the only way I can have Jesus is if I have not everything else. What do you mean? Churches need rich people. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We need some people that can sow seed for those of us who don't yet have the means to sow seed. Do you think the ministries throughout this world are devoid of people who love Jesus and also have money to give? Amen? Being rich is not a sin unless rich is who you are. You said, Pastor, you, God's going to make me rich? Well, he can but he won't if it'll kill you. Amen? Just, let me just preach to myself real quick. Stop praying for the lottery in Jesus' name. If he wanted to give it to you, he would have gave it to you. Do you do this? Do you pray for the lottery? Be real. Nod at me if you pray for the lottery. Amen. Four of us are the only ones telling truth in church. I do. I, on, you know on I-70 where there's that big... Uh, that big billboard that it tells you the current value of the Powerball on Quebec. Every time I drive by, in the name Jesus. And I tell God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all that money. I'm going to give you 20, 30, I'll give you 50, 40%. I'll give you 40%. No. God's not going to let you walk into a season that will take you away from him. Amen. But you can possess much and still love the Lord. And so he's writing to those of us who don't have, but also writing to those of us who have. And he provides a stern warning. He says, you too can boast, but not in what you have. In who you have. He says, you should boast in your humiliation. My embarrassment? No. In that God is making you into the image and likeness with the mind of Christ. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. 
You see, Jesus, who was high and lifted up, came to be lowly in servant and in deed. Lowly so much that he was killed, the lowest of the low, on the worst death of deaths, the cross. Christ in and of himself took sin and took shame, took humiliation, that you and I would no longer need to walk in that. And so James writes to those of us who live in blessing and says, please don't boast in your current natural blessing. Boast in the fact that there's an heavenly inheritance for you because Christ took it away from you, took the pain, took the sin, took the shame. He took all that you deserve off of you so that you might take what he deserves. He says, if you're going to boast about anything, boast that you're more humble like Jesus. Boast that you're more broken like Jesus. Boast that you're more like Jesus. Boast that you might know him, oh, even in his suffering. And as a warning, he says, we boast in our humiliation because like a flower of the grass, the rich will pass away in their pursuits. If what you go after is all that this world has to provide, you may receive it all and still die. But if what you go after is all that God provides, you will not die but have eternal life. Amen? Now, here's what James does, because James knows us. He's a good pastor, pastor, the bishop of the church in in Jerusalem, because he knows good how we interpret Scripture and how we deal with hard teaching. James says, are you not yet getting me? He says, for those of you who are struggling, you should celebrate. And those of us who are struggling are like, I don't feel like celebrating. And he's like, for those of you who are rich, you should be humble. And they're like, most assuredly hate being humble. And so he's like, all right, let me break it down for you. So here's what he does. He shows us how change exists in the natural world around us as an ongoing cycle of the Lord. Notice this in verse 11. He says this, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. He's saying this, change is not just good. Change is coming for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No matter our circumstance, no matter what it looks like, change is coming. And what, you, what you're in right now does not define you better is coming. Change is coming. Amen? And so change is good. But change is natural. So you can't just celebrate that change is coming. You must understand that no matter what, change is coming. It's inevitable. No matter what you're in right now, it won't last. You say, but I got a good job. Until it ain't a good job. You ever have a good boss be a bad boss? That was quick. One day they get word from top brass that they need to check there's their numbers and rework on their efficiencies and all of a sudden favorite employees no longer. You ever been on the favorite employee? All this, how many of y'all ever been put on a performance improvement plan in Jesus' name? That means you're getting fired, just so you know, <laughs> and quickly. No matter how good it is or how bad it is, change is coming no matter whether you like it or not. James says change is natural. And so here's what he does. He paints a picture of the natural, scientifically observable world. He says this, you know, the sun... Yeah. You know the sun that rises? Yeah. Yeah, you know that sun scorches? Here's what he says. The same sun that rises in the spring to provide nutrients to the seedling, to allow it to burst through the soil, to produce a sprout that brings forth the beauty of a rose, is the same sun that in the late August heat bears down on the petals of that rose and wilts them one by one 
until the whole plant shrinks and dies. And in that death, the nutrients of that life are absorbed back into the soil so that in the spring, that same sun can rise and begin the cycle all over again. I'll say it to you like this. The same water that saturates the ground and satiates the roots, that provides the nutrients necessary for the tallest of oaks to take root next to streams of living water, is the same water that in due season will bring forth a flood, knocking down all of the fields and the same strong oak, thereby producing death so that in the next season new life can come to pass. What he's saying is change is inevitable, and guess what? Sometimes change is hard. In fact, sometimes change is downright painful. And I'm going to tell you this right now, face to face. The reason most of us don't change is because we don't like to be uncomfortable. It's cold in here. I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't like these people, the way they talk to me. I don't like how that pastor preaches. I don't, I don't want to be in a small group. People can be all up in my business. Yes, exactly. That's the point. Most of us are not changing, not growing, not becoming he or she whom God has called us to be because we are so averse to being uncomfortable that when God begins the plan, like the moment the sun gets a little too hot, and I'm not talking about the sun, I'm talking about the sun, you flee. A lot of us don't see that change come to pass, not because God does not answer prayer, but because we resist God's process. You with me? And here's the process. He brings life from death. See, before the plant can grow, there must be death of the seed. You see, you don't plant a seed and then it just becomes. No, the seed must be planted and buried and smashed and drowned and then burst open. That's the way new life comes. Whatever exists now cannot bring forth then until now breaks apart or dies. Here's the thing I want you to know today. You've been asking God to do a lot of things in your life and it hasn't come to pass. And you're starting to wonder whether he's listening. The truth is he's listening and he's asking, are you listening? Right now, you are in need of new life in an area that you have been begging God for. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your friendships. Maybe it's your mind. Maybe it's your relationships. And you're saying, God, change it. God, make a way. God, make this better. I'm sick of it. And he says, great, I can do it. You just got to let me kill that part of your life. And you said, not that part. No, I want to hold on to that. Here's how I know. You've been asking God to take you to a new level, but your pride has been so big. And in the way, he's not fighting you for you. You said, I want to be in love. I see everybody else getting married. I want that too. He says, I, I keep sending them to you. And you are mean. I keep sending them to you. And you keep treating them like meat. Not like gifts. You're not finding God's best 
because you, you, you're convinced you know what's best. And so when God says, we need to get this out of your life to make room for that, you said, no, thank you. I like that. Okay, fine. Then you, you won't get that. No, 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 I want that. Okay, let's kill that. Nope. And then it's just. And then you set a meeting with me on a Monday. And I'm like, how are you doing? <sighs> the Lord is just trying me. <laughs> and you're not wrong. He's trying you. He's patiently testing you. And he's trying to kill some old parts of you to bring new life. That's the way it's always worked. Every season. Death to life. Death to life. Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season. A time to sow and a time to reap. A time to mourn and a time to celebrate. A time to live and a time to die. In effect, you can read throughout Scripture how many times God talks about bringing new from death. He says in Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I do a new thing, making a way in the wilderness. He says, there's some things right now that have to die off of you. That's why you're stuck in a wilderness. I have you in a drought season so that you'll be so discontent with the way you do things, you'll finally be content with the way I do things. Please don't stay in the wilderness forever, but you ain't leaving until we get this right. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all talking back to me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. Revelation 21.5, behold, I do a new thing. I'm making all things new. And it comes after the death of the old. If you really want to see something new, let go of the old. You really want to be changed? Then be changed. Amen? Now let me leave you with this. We got nine minutes. It's way ahead of schedule. So much better than the first service. Proud of myself. I don't know what goes on. I preach and then I look down and we're out of time. I want to see this last part for you just so we can get this very clearly. Here's the deal. Change is good. It's good for you. Where you're at right now will get better in Jesus' name. I know that. No matter how, how good it is or how bad it is, change is good. It's coming and it's wonderful. Change is natural. You can't resist it. You can fight it all you want, but it will, you will not win. Can I talk to anybody today? You will not change God's mind. He's not trying to mature you. And you're like, I'd rather stay stubborn and immature. And he's like, fine, that's cool too. That's not cool. That's the way it works. And here's the last part. Change is our challenge. If change is good and change is natural, for those of us who are called by the change maker, then change is uniquely something that we are called to embrace. It's our challenge. The world, they can fight God all they want, but we will not be a people who fight God. Those who are without God can resist and, and fight and, and, and moan and wail and reject all that they want, and they will get the reward that comes from living without God. But those of us who are called by God, who love God, who want to be changed by God, when God goes about changing, we are called to embrace it and run with it. In fact, come on, God, bring change. It's our challenge, and here's how we know. Verse 12, it reads like this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, rich in his humiliation, goes on in this. 12, he says, blessed is the man 
who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised. He's using three words that are unique to this passage, this inclusio, and each one of them can be summed up in one overarching term, which is change, challenge, transition, seasons. Here's what he says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Do you all remember that? That's from James chapter 1, verse 2. And here's what he's saying. This happened in the first service, too. Oh, man. Blessed is the man. You guys can come up. In the notes, I have written that blessed is the man who faces trial. It's true. Blessed is the man who passes tests. That's true. Blessed is the man who receives the crown. That's true. But here's what I sense the Lord wants to say this morning. Blessed. Blessed. He says, I am looking at you right now in the midst of your struggle. And I earnestly desire to pour you out a blessing you have not room enough to receive. I I love you and I want to provide for you. I want to touch you. I want to show you my favor and my mercy and goodness. It is my earnest desire to pour myself into your life that you are consumed by my goodness, my goodness that calls you to repentance, my goodness that shows you my glory. I want your life to be marked by all of the fruits of the Spirit that when people meet you, they meet me in you. I want to bless you. But you must allow me to make you ready for blessing. I think too many of us have our hands raised, God, give me blessing. And he's like, I could never pour that me out on that. You're not ready. I have like an image in my mind of what it looks like when you throw a water balloon to someone who tries to catch it but doesn't know how to catch it. Man, we never do this. This is so interesting. I just, I have this image, this like prophetic image in my head. You know what it looks like when you throw somebody a water balloon and they don't know what to do and they don't catch it. They, in fact, are just drenched by it. Yeah, they break the balloon, right? It's kind of what it looks like when, when we're begging the Lord to give us something and we're not ready to receive it. We will lose it. We will lose it. We will break it. We will lose it. Here's what he's saying today. I aim to pour you out a blessing to make you fruitful that you might multiply, to give you goodness and mercy and order your steps all the days of your life. But if you won't let me change you, this blessing will not sustain you. It will be fleeting and you will come right back asking, give me, give me, give me more, more, more. So here's what we must do. Lord, I don't want to just be blessed. I want to be changed. Away with asking for the fruit of God without the change of God. I don't want to have all the things but not be able to hold on to them. You're here today and you've been asking, God, give me this. And he's saying, I just want to give you me. 
I just want you to have me so that you are more like me. Would you do me a favor and stand your feet? Uh, I'm studying this message this week, and, and, and I, I felt like we talked about a lot of this stuff already. So sometimes when we do that, I'm always like, God, it's going to be redundant, and I don't think people are going to be that interested. But I just I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. You know, we, we will have to teach it because it's in line with the text. But I just kept saying, Lord, if there's something you want to do that's new, something you want to say, give it to me. And, I, you know, pen ready, ready to receive it and write it down. And I never got it. And so I just had to tr- trust the Lord that I would come today and say what's, what's, what's in the text and that he would say whatever he needs to say. And in the first service, he interrupted us clearly, interrupted us. And I f- uh, my pause was awkwardly long. <laughs> I, I know you all tolerate me sometimes when I'm just pausing. And that one, it, the 9 a.m., they were like, is it done? Should we leave? Um, and it feels the same way right now. I'm just sharing with this honest and open. It, it just feels like... Oh, my God, he loves us so much. He loves you so much. And he is standing at the edge of heaven, waiting to pour himself out upon you. But he says, we've got to change. You've got to change. You cannot be who you are today for tomorrow. Your stubborn heart has got to go. Your bitterness, it's got to die. Your vanity, it's got to die. Your pride, it's got to die. Your self-reliance, it's got to go. Your skepticism, it's got to go. Your self-medicating, it's got to go. The way you love to be distracted all the time and entertained, it's got to go. You've got to mean this if we're going to do this. And I, I, can't, I, I can't give you all that I want to give you if you're just going to stand there and pretend that you're doing it my way when you and I both know you're not doing it my way. Let this be a prophetic word to you today. If we want the things of God, we must do the things of God. God, would you change us from the inside? None of that's in the notes, but it feels like it's in the room. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. The first service, we prayed differently. But today, I, I, I sense that we're, we're going to do, do this. I want you to take both of your hands and extend them straight up into the air. This is what it looks like when a child asks. Amen? This is what they look like when they say, give me. And oftentimes when a child reaches up and says, give me more of whatever... They're not as well received as when a child reaches up and says, give me more of you. If you've ever had a child that's extended their arms straight up in the air and said, I want to be held by you, I want to love you, the immediate reaction from every parent is to swoop in and grab. This is our posture. No more praying, God bless me, God give me, God make a way, more of this, God give me you. Would you bow your... Heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we stand here today in the position of surrender. God, we've been chasing after the things of you and failing to chase after you. We've been wanting you to bring forth the fruit of a new season, but we've been unwilling to be changed from our old season. And God, we've come to recognize clearly that we're not ready to receive some of the things we're asking for. And so, Father, we stop all of it and we ask, God, before you do a new thing around me, do a new thing in me. Change my heart. Humble me. Break me if you need to break me. 
Remake me if you need to remake me. Take all of the parts that are in me that are unlike you and remove them from me. God, I surrender. I give up. I cancel all of my assignments. I say it's the Lamb's agenda or it's no agenda. God, my hands are up that I might receive afresh from you. Your power, your grace, your love, but mostly just you. Holy Spirit, see our hearts in need today and do a good work. Begin a work today that continues into the next week. And God, where we resist and where we fight, would you remind us that we want you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's worship this morning. Today. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Let's go!